Will you open your Bibles, please, to the prophecy of Joel? Prophecy of Joel. Notice verse 20 of chapter 3. But Judah shall dwell forever in Jerusalem from generation to generation. And the last word, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. We have found in our study of these minor prophets that God just lays his hands on a man. He reveals his messages and the future to these seers. And they go forth to preach and proclaim this message. In the name of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. I don't know why uh, we don't carry the same emphasis. We always say the scriptures say. It's the scripture. We call the scriptures the word of God. But I could stand here tonight. Read anything in the New Testament. Say thus saith the Lord. Read anything anywhere in the Bible. Thus saith the Lord. But I get my message from the scriptures. These prophets receive their message by direct revelation to them. And Joel is another one of these prophets. And what is interesting about him is that he comes from the very earliest time. He's one of the earliest of them all. David, of course, was about a thousand B.C., and Joel appears on the scene around 800 B.C. And he must in his youth have had possibly some contact with Elijah. And he certainly was a contemporary of Elisha. So here he was speaking in the period of Elisha. Uh, Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal and said, I only am left. But somewhere around was young Joel. And then Joel began his great ministry in Judah. He was a prophet speaking to Judah. Now I would say so far as this minor prophet is concerned, it's a very brief prophecy, but it's very comprehensive. He... Uh, has within the broad sweep of his vision the program of God for Israel. He describes so beautifully the dispersion. He describes their gathering back again. Describes the valley of Jehoshaphat, the battle of Armageddon. Describes the second coming of Christ out of Zion. He rules from Jerusalem. The broad sweep of Joel's prophecy covered all these great events as they converge to the day when Christ will come and then they'll have their millennial blessings. Joel has it. And I think it's rather interesting and rather significant that when God gave us these minor prophets, here's Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and all these different ones, 
that the earliest ones, the first ones he raised up like Joel in this series, they gave the, pan, the whole panorama. They gave you the view of it. And that's what you have in Joel. When we stop to realize what the Old Testament has in it, we must recognize, as I've said so many times to you, that those in the Old Testament look forward to the birth of Christ. We look back to the birth of Christ. Those in the Old Testament look forward to the Lamb which would be slain, and they had their Passover with its blood sacrifice. We look back to the lamb which was slain and we no longer have any blood sacrifices because the sacrifice itself has been finished and completed. But when you're in the Old Testament, you're looking forward. And God arranged and saw to it that the gospel and the prophecies and his whole plan was clearly revealed so that they understood. And when the people of the Old Testament days read these prophets or heard them read, they understood the Lord and his plan just as you and I understand them when we read the New Testament. They had the same faith, the same promises, the same word. And we look back in faith, we have the word, and we look to the same promises and the future that they saw yonder which hasn't yet been uh, accomplished, we now are standing at this point looking forward like they look forward and what they saw can now be a blessing to us too. And that's why Joel is such a precious jewel and such a precious gem to the church tonight. Now what happened in the book of Joel is that Apparently they had a terrible calamity. We have here the locust, the palm worm. Apparently there was a terrible desolation and devastation that came over the land. Great physical disaster. And Joel takes that physical disaster and proceeds to describe it and then let it represent the awful judgments of the day of the Lord. And a physical calamity that fell upon the land. The locust, the canker worm, and all these different elements that were a part of this terrible scourge that went over the land, just devastating it completely. Joel says, now that's the way the day of the Lord's going to be. And he uses the descriptions of the destruction of the land by this scourge to represent and to prefigure the destructions that are going to come because of the day of wrath and the day of judgments which will fall upon ungodly men and upon the world in which we dwell. Actually, this plague of, of these insects, this plague of these various bugs or worms or locusts, uh, became a, an illustration or a type or a representation of the awful judgment that's going to fall toward the end time. Now let's turn, if you will, please, to the second chapter. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, 
For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever like this, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before, and behind them a desolate wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. That's the way the locusts, they came in and just completely devoured the land. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of the mountains, they shall leap. Like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. And they shall march every one on his ways. And they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb upon the houses. Then shall they enter into the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark. And the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can abide it? Well, what we have here is after you have a description of the destruction by the plague, that description is turned to describe the awful wrath of God that's going to fall upon us when we get to the valley of Jehoshaphat, when you get to the time of tribulation, when you get to the battle of Armageddon. That's what it is. Now turn to chapter 3. For behold, in those days and at that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. My beloved, here, Joel, as he goes on, he says the day is coming when all nations are going to be gathered. They'll be in the valley of Jehoshaphat. This is a description of the final gathering here. And will plead with them for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. And they parted my land. A little phrase, they parted my land. We uh, don't think of it so much right now, but at the time of the partition of Israel, of Palestine, that little phrase was really touched upon by all our premillennial and prophetic uh, expositors. This little phrase right here was one they turned. They parted my land. The land's been split up. And they have cast lots for my people and have driven, given a boy for a harlot, and they've carried them off. Now, move on down just a little further. Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither ye have sold them, and will return your recompense upon your own head, 
And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the land of the children of Judah, and they shall sell them to the Sabaeans, to a people afar off, for the Lord has spoken it. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty man. Let all men of war draw near. Let them come up. And he's saying here that the children of Israel are going back to Palestine. The nations are going to gather against them. The nations are going to be there to destroy them. And then he says in verse 12, Let the heathen be weakened and come up out of the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. God is going to be there. The Son of God is going to sit to judge. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down. For the press is full, the fat overfloweth, for their wickedness is great. Now verse 17. So shall ye know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall be no stranger, there shall no stranger pass through her any more. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine. We're confronted right now with a very serious problem. In our missionary work, since the war and the victory of the Israelis and the fact that they have occupied all that territory, clear over to the Jordan River, and now have Bethlehem, they now possess Jerusalem. And the whole world has been shocked and stunned by it. And we're constantly being reminded of the words of our Lord, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And this is the first time since 70 A.D. when Jerusalem was destroyed, as the Lord said it would be. The Jews now have possession of that city. And they vow and declare that they will never give it up. And you and I can see here the land has been parted. God says the land would be parted. But now they've moved in to take possession of the city of Jerusalem itself. They say they'll never get it up. They've reunited the city. They've opened the gates, all except the Golden Gate. And I was pleased indeed to see just a short time ago where the mayor of the city of Jerusalem said that the Golden Gate, the gate which is sealed there on the east, they would not attempt to open it or do anything with it because that would be left for the Messiah to do. And even there at the present time, in their unbelief and in their darkness, in all of these things, there is this constant, constant reference to what is taking place so far as the Bible is concerned. Over in our hearing in media, we have an unusual array of Jewish attorneys. The Anti-Defamation League's lawyer is there and others. In fact, the entire case of WX, against WXUR was prepared in the office of the Anti-Defamation League in New York City. And the head attorney for the Anti-Defamation League, Benai Barith, handled these matters and was the counsel who advised all of these different groups as to what they should do and how they should uh, operate in relationship to WXUR. And it's very interesting indeed to hear them say or try to say in the newspapers that we're anti-Semitic and anti-Semitic, but they've got a problem when they come to Dr. McIntyre. 
I don't know just how they're going to get around it. But it happened this past week that there were some other Jewish visitors that came into the car. And during one of the breaks, I was called back and I was introduced to a gentleman from New York City who is a leader in a Jewish organization. I'm not going to mention the name of it, however. Perhaps I wouldn't be wise to do that. But at any rate, he told me that he'd come down and look over this trial because he represented Jewish groups in this country that opposed the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai Barrett. And I came to find out after talking with him that there are an awful lot of Jews in this country that don't like the Anti-Defamation League. In fact, they just are dead against it. They think it's doing more harm to the cause of the Jews in this country than it's doing good. And here was this young man, a very nice-looking young man. He must have been in his later 30s or about 40s. And he said he'd like to have a talk with me. And I said, well, that's fine. We stepped out in the hall. And he says, I understand, he said, that you have given endorsement to Jerusalem. And I said, yes, I have. I said, I think that it's fulfilling prophecies. And he looked at me and he said, you know, he says, uh, I would like to talk to you about these matters of the prophets. He says, we do not think that what is happening over in Israel at the present time has anything to do with prophecies. He says, there's a bad crew in charge. And as we talked, I said, sir, I said, you are just the finest illustration of what I believe. I says, the Lord says, there will be a bad crew in charge. My Bible says that the Jews are going to go back to Palestine in darkness, in unbelief. They're going to go back and there will be a bad crew in charge. And the change. Oh, he says he believes that there will be a day when the land will be all of these marvelous things. But he doesn't see that the present group is the one that's going to do it. That's the way he put it to me. And I said, sir, I said, you're the finest illustration." Of the very thing I want to get across to you. He says, I would, he said to me, I'd like to, he said, could you come to New York? He said, I said, I can't. He said, well, I'll come down and see you. But because he says, I'm, 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 I'm plagued. He says, I'm enticed by these things that you talk about prophecy. He says, I, I just don't understand. My, I was glad to have him say. Beloved, the reason he doesn't understand. And the reason he doesn't see these things is that he doesn't understand that it's going to take the Messiah to straighten it out. It's going to take the coming of Christ himself. And he's going to come and all this bad crew, all this unbelief, all this darkness, all that's there. The Jews have been going back in unbelief. And yet, in their unbelief, they read these scriptures and they think that there's going to be some way, somehow, where it'll again be turned into a land of plenty, milk and honey and wine and all these things that God says that they will have. But they don't know how it's going to happen. And they don't understand that there's going to be a judgment upon them. They don't understand that there's to be a battle of Armageddon. They don't understand that all the nations are going to conspire against them and unite against them. And they don't understand that it's going to take the personal appearance of the Messiah out of Zion to do it. And that's where the difference is between us. We understand it. 
Now will you turn to this third chapter. Where our Lord Jesus Christ comes. Verse 17. So shall ye know that I am the Lord your God. Look at verse 16. For the Lord also shall roar out of Zion. This is the coming of the Lord. This is the second coming of the Lord. Go back just a little further. Put ye in the sickle. Verse 13. For the harvest is ripe. Come ye. Get you down. For the press is full. The fat overfloweth. For their wickedness is great. Here's Armageddon. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Here's Armageddon. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Here's Armageddon. The valley of Jehoshaphat. The sun and the moon shall be darkened. And the stars shall be without their shining. My, when you get that praise here in Joel, you get into these New Testaments and you come to the preaching of, uh, of Peter on Pentecost. The sun and the moon. These prophecies of Joel are being fulfilled. And they're to be fulfilled in this time until the final consummation of the appearance of our Lord. The Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. And beloved, that is Romans 9, 10, and 11. That is Romans 9, 10, and 11. And when you come down to that 11th chapter of the epistle of Romans, where the apostle says that in one day the nation will be born. In one hour the Lord will come. And he will be the deliverer out of Zion. And he will come and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. And he'll speak in Jerusalem. And he'll be the one who will be the triumphant victor over the forces that were seeking in the great valley of Jehoshaphat. The valley of decision to utterly destroy the Jewish people. We have the only message of hope for the Jewish people. And the only message of hope for the Jewish people is in their own prophecies, in their own Bible. And it is the message that the Lord shall come out of Zion. Notice that verse 17. Look at it. So shall ye know. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced. That I am the Lord your God. Beloved, they're going to wail because of they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. That's the prophecy. That's the declaration. And in that great hour of suffering, in that great hour of devastation, in that moment when all hope is lost, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He shall come. Our blessed Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now I told you we we're having problems. We've got a very serious problem in our mission program. Our independent board for Presbyterian Foreign Missions has been interested in the work in the Middle East for years. And under the leadership of Dr. Tom Lambie, we went into Bethlehem, or just outside of Bethlehem, and built this great hospital there. Mrs. Tom Lambie, she's been there all these years. And we've had a great ministry and healing, tuberculosis, a ministry among the refugees. We built a church in, in Bethlehem. And this work had developed a very sizable, substantial missionary ministry. In fact, one of the very finest out there throughout the whole Middle East. We have extensive property holdings there and houses and other buildings that have been built up through the years. And in one hour, that whole thing turned from Jordan and the Arab over to Israel and the Jews. And they had it all. 
And what is so blessed about it is that our group there had organized and planned this Bible Institute, and now we have a Bible school or Bible Institute also in the Israeli portion, where in the past there was no Bible Institute of any kind in Israeli, and we have now and will have the only one that does exist. And as you know, Dr. Philip Clark came back from his visit over there and he told us that the Christians in Bethlehem went out and received the Israeli troops as their protectors. The radio had been announcing that after Saturday comes Sunday. On Saturday they were going to drive the Jews into the Mediterranean and on Sunday they were going to take care of the Christians. And as you people know, the awful hostility which the Arabs have to the Jews is also equally against the Christians. So far as marrying, so far as any of these connections. And it's most significant that all these years that we've had, these 20 years that we've had the division there, it was possible to go from Arab territory into Israeli territory. You could do that. But it was impossible to go from Israeli territory back into Arab territory. Couldn't be done. And the Arab world, with its hatred of the Jew and its, with the hatred of the Christian, said, after Saturday comes Sunday. And the Arab Christians living in Bethlehem and in Ramallah, those two centers outside of Jerusalem, where there are strong Protestant works and where there are these Christians, Arab Christians, even the Arab Christians welcomed the Jewish armies as their protector. Now, beloved, we find ourselves in the difficulty because we also have other missionary works which we have sought to develop, particularly now in nearby <clears throat> Beirut. And our missionaries had to flee, as you know. They were forced out of the country and they went over to Cyprus. But now they are back in. But when Mr. George Clark went back, they wouldn't even let him preach the Sunday there in the little church. And we find ourselves now in a situation in which the work which we have in the Arab country and the work which we have in the Israeli countries or in the Israeli country are in contradiction so far as these two governments are concerned. And what has been going on among the Arab Christians, we've learned, is that in the missionary work among the Arab Christians, that the missionaries have just not given them any instruction concerning the prophecies at all. And the situation has now developed to where if any mail goes in, we have now quit sending the Christian beacon to the Arab land. Because if any mail goes in of any of these prophetic passages, I preached a sermon on Armageddon, and it was in the Christian beacon. Dr. McCray gave a series of messages at our prophetic conference, and he gave us a great story on the Khazars, the Jewish, did this communism a Jewish conspiracy? And all of that was put in the Christian beacon. And immediately that is laid hand upon by the Arab governments and used then against the Christians to afflict them and to persecute. 
And we're finding that in order to carry on missionary work in these Arab lands, great sections of the Bible can no longer be taught or no longer be talked about. And I think we're coming to a decision where we're going to have to say it's one or the other because you're not going to be able to carry water on two shoulders. You're not going to be able to deal with the Arab world with the freedom to preach the gospel and talk about the fulfillment of prophecies among the Jews, which says that the Jews are eventually going to have Jerusalem and everything else, and then turn around and carry on these activities among the Jews and have an inconsistency when it comes to helping the Arab people. And sooner or later, a great decision is going to have to be made. It may be made for us in God's providence, but a decision is going to have to be made where we'll either have to go all the way with the Arab world or we'll have to go all the way with the Jewish world so far as Jerusalem and Palestine is concerned and as far as me and so far as I'm concerned when that decision is upon us and I think it is upon us the logic of it is upon us it would be better to go all the way so far as Armageddon and so far as Zion and so far as Jerusalem is concerned and let us concentrate while the time remains on being the witness to these Jews and helping to win the remnant that God has said will be saved in these latter days before his return. But when you read a passage like Joel and you begin to look at this in the Arab world and they say that's nothing but political propaganda. And the Arab world looks at a fundamental Christian today or a fundamental missionary when they get into these prophecies which they have in the Bible and they say it's nothing but just political propaganda away with them. We don't want them in our part. We're not going to permit them to talk like this. And the persecution of the Christians in the Arab world is going to be intensified because the Christian believes the Old Testament prophecies and these things which we find in the book of Joel. And so far as our movement is concerned, beloved, our whole movement, in this country, the American Catholic Christian churches. So far as I'm aware, every group that is associated with us in the American Catholic Christian churches accepts these prophecies as applying to Israel. I know of no one that doesn't accept them as applying to Israel. Furthermore, beloved, some of the groups that are associated with us are going even further than some of us have yet been willing to go in our exposition. And they're telling us now that they're going to rebuild the temple before the tribulation rather than after the tribulation begins. We do know that there will be a temple. And we do know that the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet will be enacted on the altar there in that temple. That's clearly in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. But is that temple going to be rebuilt right now? Or is it going to be after we're taken out and the Lord's raptured us into his presence? And then will they rebuild the temple during the tribulation period? And then this awful abomination of desolation take place that our Lord said would take place. When it takes place, our Lord Jesus Christ says, will you just look up for the redemption of your bodies. The, the glorious appearing of Christ, his apocalypse, his unveiling before all of humanity will be at hand. And that moment when the Lord shall come out of Zion. Now let's go a little further with this 17th and 18th verses. And it shall come to pass in that day. Beloved, that little phrase, in that day, in that day, in that day. It will be a day just like the one we've had today. The sun rising. In that day. 
And it's for these reasons that when I read a prophecy, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. There will be a day when the times of the Gentiles are going to be fulfilled. And God's program in dealing with the Jews and dealing with us, all of these things are going to be tied up together according to the pattern as he has revealed it by divine revelation. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down with new wine. Here's your millennial reign of Christ. And the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. And the fountains shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and water, and shall water the valley of Shittim. In other words, when the Lord comes... And he begins to rule and things are changed. There's going to be beauty in that land, a land with milk and honey as it's never been uh, manifest in all of God's dealings. And then verse 19. Egypt shall be a desolation. Now can you understand how an Arab would read that and say that you were a political propagandist? <laughs> can you understand how an Arab would read that and you Christians think that we're going to be defeated all down the line? Egypt shall be a desolation, and Edom shall be a desolate wilderness, for the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. And here he's saying, Egypt against the children of Judah, Egypt has shed innocent blood, and there's going to be a judgment day for Egypt and for Edom. But Judah shall dwell forever. And Jerusalem from generation to generation. And who will occupy Jerusalem? Who will be in Jerusalem? The Lord shall come out of Zion. So shall we know that ye know that I am the Lord your God. Dwelling in Zion. And beloved, Joel was telling the children of Israel. That when the story is finished and you come to the end of the day. When the Lord comes and ye shall know him. That the Lord shall dwell in Jerusalem. That will be the city of our God. And that's where our Savior will appear. And he shall rule over this whole earth. From the city of Jerusalem. Judah shall dwell forever in Jerusalem. From generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood. That I have not cleansed. For the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Beloved I tell you. I have always told you. Let's believe everything we are supposed to believe. Let's accept everything as God has given it to us. And the Lord will dwell in Zion. And in this hour. When we have decisions to make. Some of our missionaries may have to come home. Our missionaries are going to be troubled. Some of our missionaries are going to be tempted to, to compromise and pull down and say we're not, we'll, we'll do anything in order to help save our work. Some of our missionaries are going to be sorely tempted. But those of us who see the teachings of the minor prophet of Joel and read the prophecies of Isaiah and Ezekiel and see what God has for the end time, we can't muffle the prophecies of the end time because somebody says they're political. We can't silence these great things that God has put in this book 
for the blessing of our hearts, for the encouragement of our souls, and for a vindication and a ratification of the gospel itself. So what is the book of Job? Great calamity came. God said, Joel, take the calamity and describe the day of the Lord. Explain how these things are going to happen down toward the end time. Finally, you get to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Here it is over here. The Lord's going to come to Zion. He's going to be the judge among those nations. He's going to destroy them. He's going to deliver his people. Then his people will know him. Then his people will look upon him. Then his people will recognize that he is the Messiah, the one promised to Israel. The one that the prophets preached about. And he, he will finally come and deliver his people. And then the land will be at peace. And they shall have security. And the judgment that Egypt deserves will be upon their heads. The judgment that Edom deserves because what she's done in afflicting Judah through the years will be upon their heads. And the Lord will reign. And the Lord will be king. And the Lord will be glorified. And the Lord will dwell in Zion. Beloved, when I stand up here and preach like this, if this isn't a fantastical dream, nobody ever, ever, ever unravels such a tale as this. Who could ever tell a tale like this? And if it weren't for divine revelation, I wouldn't believe it. If it weren't for divine revelation, I wouldn't stand here and worry you five minutes with a tale like this. But it's not a tale. It's the purposes of God in fulfilling all that he's promised to Jacob, the house of Jacob. And all the glory that the Messiah himself is to have when he comes to be admired among all of Israel. And when he comes to be recognized as the savior of sinners like you and me. Now that's the little prophet, Joe. And as I preached it to you tonight, it has the same identical message to the heart of a believer that it had 800 years before Christ was born. Same story, same program, same design, same great consummation. And God's desire and God's purpose for you and me, beloved, God's purpose for you and me is that we will now occupy that we'll be faithful to him, that we'll get the lessons from the signs of the times that we should have, and that we will witness to those about us and to our children who are in our homes, bringing them to the knowledge of Christ and instructing them in the truth of this divine revelation which we have. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank thee for the prophet Job. We thank thee that he saw way, way into the future, even beyond the times which have come upon us. And we thank thee that there is a great deliverer, and he shall dwell in Zion, and that his holy mountain shall be the praise of all his people. Father, we thank thee for these minor prophets, they spoke to their day, but they speak to our day. They speak to every day. They speak to all of God's people. 
And we say, O Lord, in our souls that we long for that day when Christ shall come again. When he shall gather us to himself, we shall be snatched out, gathered into the clouds. And then these great things shall take place upon the earth, as thou hast revealed. But, O gracious God, while it's still day, may men be saved. For the night cometh when no man can work. For Christ's sake, amen. Now let's turn as we close our hymn, 304, hallelujah. 302 it is, hallelujah, what a saint. 302.